welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves, and then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. I'm so blessed to be joined by the following guest. She's got a pretty cool job at a fantastic organization called Campaign Life Coalition. So if you're familiar with 40 Days for Life, as a lot of you are, 40 Days for Life and Campaign Life Coalition work very closely with each other for sure. Uh, her title is the United Nations Representative and Global Policy and Advocacy Advisor. Uh, so that sounds pretty good. It's We're going to find out a little bit more about that. You may also know her from her contributions to the Post-Millennial and the Rebel News. But most importantly, she is our sister in Christ, Matea Murta. It is a blessing to have you join us. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful to be joining you today. Outstanding. Thanks, Matea. So before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of our conversation here, there's a lot to, to cover. We've got to give a shout out to the folks in Saskatchewan. That is where you're from. I always assumed you were from Eastern Canada, but you're not. You're from Saskatchewan, just like my mom. My mom was actually born in uh, the Hafford, Saskatchewan area. So maybe tell us a little bit. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, your life in Saskatchewan. And I mean, you're, you're a young lady, Matea, which is awesome. And you're, you're on fire for the Lord, which is great. But how did you kind of wade through this cesspool of secularism and moral relativism and get to the point where you are today where you're really living a life that's uh uh you know with your faith and involved with your faith and what you're passionate about absolutely well again thank you i i love to to be on and join with people who are grassroots and who are actually have an impact so thank you for what you're doing I, I did grow up, I was born on the Saskatchewan side of Lloydminster, so thankfully I've always been a Saskatchewan girl, thankfully I was not born on the Alberta side. There's, if you know anything about Saskatchewan Alberta, there's always this kind of little joke we have between each other, and uh, it goes back a couple of decades, but um, I did grow up in Saskatoon, here in Saskatchewan, and I was brought up in a Christian conservative family. I, I didn't really understand, I understood that we were Christian, but I didn't really understand conservatism until I was a little older. Um, I was never interested in politics, to be honest, and I really didn't know about the pro-life issue until I was in probably just coming out of high school. And, but my family, my parents in particular, were always very active in the pro-life realm. Um, and that was usually, that was primarily before I was even um, really knowledgeable of what my, my world really was. So when I was quite young, but I grew up going to a Christian school as well, a private Christian school that was attached to a church. And there was always this understanding in my family that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we're not going to follow a man, we're going to follow Jesus. And so my parents took that very seriously. And because of that, there was a lot of pushback from the church and school that we went to because they weren't always willing to go along with the rules and the mandates of what was pushed onto them. And I always appreciated that. Because, and that, that taught me what convictions are. 
And I, what I always tell everybody, regardless if I'm at the United Nations or I'm on the street talking to people, it's always live by convictions, not just a set of societal rules because those fluctuate, those change. And that was taught to me in my home by my parents. So we'll jump all the way to grade 12. And halfway through my grade 12 year, I was actually given the boot out of my Christian school for giving the wrong opinion. I was asked for my honest opinion and I gave it about a book report, a biblical book report. And it was essentially I directed everything that my teacher was teaching me um, to the Bible and did a stark contrast. And I said, what, what this book really is talking about is nothing about proper Christian theology. It's actually the opposite. It's what I deem or what many deem in the Christian sphere as seeker sensitivity is essentially dumbing down the word of God so that it's palatable to the culture. Matea, what, what book was that? Are you, do, do you recall what that I, book so was? I, this is everything. Everybody asks me what this book is and I cannot find it. <laughs> so I have still been digging for it for over a year and I still can't find it. But um, as soon as I do find it, I'm probably going to release a little testimonial about, about standing up for your faith, even in the Christian sphere. You know, Matea, so, that, that's interesting that you say that. And I just, jump in really quickly there there is still even in, in the catholic church there's still a very small faction of people that will um you said uh, maybe uh, dumbing down a parable mm -hmm. in the bible uh you know jesus spoke in parables a lot right and yeah. uh you know everything from even some of the things that happened in the old testament from uh you know uh moses crossing the dead sea right i mean they're saying that that's oh maybe there was uh you know the way the, the tides were, the way the wind was blowing, this is how the Israelites escaped from the Egyptians. In the New Testament, we have the miraculous story of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fish. Yes. There are some, not, and again, not very many, but it's surprising that there are some that say, oh, that's just a, a gift of sharing, or Jesus mm -hmm. is teaching us to share. He's God. He can multiply mm -hmm. loaves and fish, <laughs> right? Exactly. What are, what are we doing here? Why are we believers, right? So, so carry on, Matea. But I, I'm just saying that this, that's probably not an isolated incident. I think we've all encountered that in some way, shape, or form, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah, so after I was giving, given the boot, I was kind of trying to figure out, well, what do I do with this little bit of time? Um, I couldn't immediately start homeschool, and that's why I actually did start homeschooling and to finish up my grade 12 year, because when I was released from that school, I wasn't given any of the, the, cre the credits that I needed to um, finish high school that I had finished already. So I had to restart my whole grade 12 year and thank God for homeschooling. And I'm a huge advocate for it now. And I wish I had done it from the very beginning. But that aside, I was trying to figure out, well, what do I do with my life before I start? And even when I was in homes the homeschooling process, what do I do? I have this time. And um, so then the federal election popped up in 2016. And my dear, dear friend was running in Saskatoon. And it was in a neighboring riding to my own. And so I thought, well, I know nothing about politics. So it's important, obviously. So I want to, why don't I just get involved? And I'll go knock doors. I love talking to people and communicating what their concerns are to, to my friend. And so I did that, I dedicated my life to that process and I pounded the concrete, knocked so many doors and I learned a lot. I didn't learn everything, but I learned a lot and it hooked me. And so because of that campaign and my dedication to it, my own member of parliament who was ended up elected, my friend wasn't, my member ended up offering me 
um, a, a position, a summer position for two to three months in his local constituency office. And so I did not want to do it. I loved being outside. I was trying to figure out, do I want to be a flight attendant or something else? And thankfully, thank God for wise parents, my parents said, you, you really should try it. So I did. And I hated it. All of it. It was all data entry. It was all monotonous. And then I ended up getting a contract. And that contract led to almost four years of employment and, de and personal development, really, in this one job. And thankfully, that member of parliament was Brad Trost, who taught me so much, was very patient, very kind, and kind of took me under his wing. And we're, we're very good friends now. And uh, lots of exciting things coming up for him as well, but I'll leave that up to him to disclose. But yeah, it's, it's been a journey. And after he was targeted in his nominate, local nomination race um, by the Conservative Party H uh, headquarters, he lost. Mm -hmm. And so I was out of, a, out of a job and I have many contacts in Saskatchewan, thankfully in their government. And I ended up getting a position. It was, it was really a God position that I needed um, an income. And I ended up working for a dear cabinet min a friend who is a cabinet minister in the province of Saskatchewan. And because of my job, after I left that employment, I, um, because of my job on working on the Hill, I ended up getting a position with Campaign Life Coalition. And I was specifically tasked while on the Hill in Brad's office to bring together the pro-life realm, essentially. Because whether you're in the church or you're in the secular world or you're in a job, there's always going to be rifts in every single group or organization, whatever it may be. So I wanted to, to bring together the political pro-lifers, the spiritual pro-lifers, the, the atheist pro-lifers, all, all the, all, all the pro-lifers and say, everybody has a unique position. We all have unique jobs and, and reaches. So let's tie them together and be as effective as possible. And that's how I got to know Campaign Life Coalition. So from there, I ended up uh, getting to go to the United Nations and now I, I work specifically on that file. And I live part of the year in Washington, DC, where I get to work very closely with the administration, as well as other governments worldwide in the fight to protect family and life. Outstanding, yeah. And uh, Brad Trost, definitely one of the, I would say, one of the good guys. I mean, a lot of people forget that, I believe, didn't he finish fourth in the uh, leadership? Uh, yes. That was when Andrew Shear was, was chosen the leader. And I believe he finished fourth. And a lot of people didn't give him any chance at all to make anyways, but it really showed the, uh, that there are a lot, of, a lot of social conservatives in Canada still. And I think even this last leadership campaign proved that as well. Uh, there's definitely some outspoken ones, uh, Derek Sloan obviously being one mm -hmm. of them, and, and uh, Leslin Lewis. I worked on his campaign, actually. He's a there, fantastic individual. Right, and it's, it's good to see that, and it's nice to see that even though uh, you know, there's definitely some competing views inside the Conservative Party in Canada, maybe with Aaron O'Toole, uh, it does seem like the, they need to make some space for people that are social conservatives. And it does seem like Derek is one of those guys in Leslin. Hopefully, eventually, she'll, mm -hmm. she'll have a voice uh, in, in Parliament as well. But uh, there seems to be that acceptance that, hey, we're going to be talking uh, a big tent party where we accept a lot of different points of view. Uh, you know, some of these social conservatives, we need to make sure that they have a voice as well. So that's, uh, that's interesting that you worked with, uh, with Brad and, and that you're working with Derek as well. That's really great. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to, to unpack there, Matea. I have a million questions to ask you, but I think we'll, uh, 
may as well just go to scripture here because I think the, the world needs this right now, a little bit more Bible. Um, Agreed, 100%. Went to Psalm 2 and, and maybe give me your thoughts on this. I, I read this. Uh, it has It's in the context of God's promise to his anointed. It says, Why do nations conspire and the people plot in vain? In vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers to take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord has them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And uh, the, the part where it says he who sits, he obviously referring to, to God the Father sits in heaven and laughs. And uh, I think that there's so much confusion in the world today. It's not just in the United States and it's not just in Canada, but uh, you know, what we saw last week as we're recording this, it is uh, uh, early November, not very long after the U S presidential election, but um, yeah, it seems like things are, are far from normal down there. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure you're watching the election just like I was. I mean, I think that people of goodwill, uh, watching this election, even if we don't live in the United States, even if we didn't have a vote, um, what I'm seeing right now is is an injustice. And I think all Christians have to take um, notice of that. And, and it's the just thing to expose any lies or anything that's false. And when I was watching the election, you know, President Trump has a sizable lead in so many states uh, especially the swing states where it could go either way. So that just the people that don't know a swing state just means from every election, given any election, it could go either way. It could go Democrat, it could go Republican. Um, all of a sudden you're seeing these massive swings in votes. Uh, most people went to sleep at a reasonable hour. And, um, next thing you know, you wake up and you see these votes just drop out of nowhere. And then you hear thousands of dead people voting. Mm-hmm. And you hear ballots for Trump in the ditch or in a garbage can. Now you're hearing glitches in a computer system from these software firms. Mm-hmm. Um, voters in heavy Republican areas told you have to vote with a Sharpie. Um, I'm not sure what else we need to put out there to say that something just doesn't seem right. And if there is nothing to hide, if, if indeed Joe Biden is the next president, then why are they putting so many barriers up to to uh, potentially prevent the truth from being found. Mm -hmm. Matea, give us your thoughts on what happened November 3rd and where we're going moving forward. That's a lot. Okay, well, (laughs) I'll lead off with with reference to that scripture where God laughs. I think it's amazing that we get to, you know, God was telling me to sit back and to rest for the last few months. Mm. It's super difficult for me. And I knew that there was a fight coming and I didn't understand what it was. I thought it was going to be a personal fight, but no, it's, it's a, it's a personal and corporate fight and we are in it. We are in a war right now. And I don't mean war with guns and and pickets, but uh, guns, but we are one with pickets. And so um, I think it's funny that he loves a good drama and you know, the devil thinks that he can get away with so much but God has an appointed individual and people are going to mock me for saying this, but God did anoint Trump. It's a fact. And you don't have to like his personality, but you look at the substance of what he has accomplished for the kingdom of God and for all those who are benefiting outside of the kingdom of God from it. 
And it's not just about United States. This is about the world. And people will also mock that, that United States has such influence on the entirety of the world. But when I'm at the United Nations, you can clearly see that United States is holding back this globalist thrust that elites want to push on the good common people of the world or what people call common people. We are extraordinary. And so I, I just wanted to say that God does laugh because the devil does think he's getting away with something and he can't, he won't. In the end, God does win. So that aside, what happened on November 3rd, I was expecting. I wasn't expecting at 4 a.m. between 3.30 and 4.30 a.m. that there's gonna be hundreds of thousands of ballots dropped off or switched um, at various swing state polling stations, but it did happen. I thought it was gonna happen a little bit different than that. Um, but it did happen. So I was expecting a lot of voter fraud and we're, we are seeing the revelation of it now. And what your listeners have to understand is that voter fraud in the United States has been happening at an increasing rate. It's, it's always been huge, but this is astronomical. This is incredible what has happened in the 2020 election. Now, when we're talking about, I think the most important thing is there's going to be recounts. There are going to be people who are, or sorry, states that are going to be having people count by hand and not by systems, electronics. So, but what's happening with, with the electronic system? I just want to touch on that because it's very important to understand that the main lobbyist, uh, DC lobbyist for the um, Dominion voting system that is implemented in various states, including the swing states, their, their DC lobbyist is the top political aide for Nancy Pelosi. And Dominion Voting Systems is owned, shares anyway, in it by Nancy Pelosi, as well as Senator, uh, what is her name? <laughs> She's one of the primary senators. I'm dropping her name at the moment. Um, but I will, I will get that to you at some point. Do apologize for that. There's another female senator from California. So um, it's, it's interesting to see all these, these ties into um, the glitches that they're called anyway about voting systems. So know that there will be recalls and recounts, but we also see what's happening with the media. Now, I love learning about propaganda. I was, I'm fascinated by everything that happened in World War II and leading up to it. And we're seeing everything that's happening is being played out of a socialist handbook and how Marxist, Marxists operate. So when you're looking at what's happening in the media, the media, first of all, does not elect a president. They are not the determining factor. And this is what everybody is buying into. And it's incredible to see that from what the media has said, just their headlines, we see governments and, and leaders like Justin Trudeau and, and people from the leaders in Sweden and Norway and throughout the Middle East. I've even seen jihadists congratulate uh, Joe Biden for his so-called supposed win. He is not the president elect at this moment. He is still a candidate. So that out of the way, I want to say that because of what the media is doing, they're hyping up the populace because Today is Monday, November 11, uh, November 9th, excuse me. There are already being cases launched in the courts and by the Trump campaign, which is absolutely necessary. This is literally, they're trying to stop the, the election from being stolen from them. And they have every right to. 
And what they're fighting with is credible information of fraud. And because the media is hyping up across the world now, it's not just America, it's across the world, that Joe Biden is the confirmed official, as CTV put it, officially elected candidate, there is going to be outrage by the populace when Donald Trump is then confirmed as the president. And he's going to be painted as a dictator, just so everybody knows. And his, his supporters are going to be targeted. And we're already seeing that AOC in the United States, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she says that there's going to be this, this, we need lists of all the Trump supporters and everybody who donated to his campaign because we're going to block them from holding public positions and their jobs. And, and basically, we're going to dox them. She didn't literally put dox, but that if you know what doxing is, it's exposing where a person lives, their contact information, everything about them so that they can be targeted and attacked. And this is, this is what they want to do. And this is what socialists do across the world. And what we're seeing right now is what would happen if Joe Biden were elected president. Everybody's saying there's going to be peace and unity and we need to, what Joe Biden says, we need to heal the nation's wounds, America's wounds. But they were inflicted upon America by Democrats. And yes, there were Republicans who sided with Democrats um, in their efforts to destroy the Republic. But everything is, everything is just so hypocritical. Um, and one of the tactics that leftists and not just democrats but leftists in general employ is that we need to say everything negative about what we're doing but place all that negativity and blame onto the other side so we are corrupt even though behind the scenes we are corrupt we're going to paint the other side as those possessing that type of corruption so that it deflects off of us and distracts the populace from seeing what we're actually doing and investigating so every time you see a, a a uh, point of blame or conviction upon another another person or party by a different political party, you know that there's something behind the scenes there happening in that person's party. So everything that's happening is just too coincidental. We saw states, swing states where Trump was rising in the polls. It was it was amazing. Amazing. He has gained the most um, for a Republican president, the most votes any Republican has ever garnered. And yet all of a sudden Overnight, seemingly, we see this decrease in Trump's uh, votes. And the percentages are lowering and lowering, and yet all of a sudden, all the votes coming into the polls are all for Joe Biden. It makes no sense, even for mathematicians. They, they just can't make sense of it. It's, it's mathematically impossible. And so with all this corruption, I just want to say there's going to be recounts. There are going to be things happening behind the scenes that you don't necessarily hear and just be encouraged that people are fighting for truth and accountability and those who are opposing a fair, free and accountable election are the people you need to be the most worried about. Well, and to your point too about who is acknowledged what, uh, it's, it's ironic when the Mexican president, mm -hmm. president of Mexico doesn't want to acknowledge that Joe Biden yep. is the president. So first step to seeing that there's a problem. And then to, to those points that you made, Matea, I mean, can you imagine if the roles were reversed? If, no. if what happened was, uh, you know, everything is the opposite of what happened and what we saw in the last week. And if it was all in favor of Donald Trump, what would mm -hmm. we be seeing on the streets right now? Um, yeah. There's the, the verse that says they will know you by your fruits. And mm -hmm. 
I, what I'm seeing right now in, in America, which is encouraging to me is instead of, uh, you know, Trump supporters, and I don't even want to say Trump supporters. I just want to say that these are people of goodwill. Um, yes. Maybe they don't support Donald Trump. Yeah, Donald Trump is, is not a, the perfect president. He is not the perfect politician. If the, the only way we'd ever get the perfect politicians is if Jesus showed up and decided to run for office. Exactly. So I think that people need to, to get, need to deal with that first. Uh, you know, and, and what you said earlier too, Donald Trump and the Republicans in the last four years, if you think about a football analogy, which I'm sure you can appreciate as somebody from Saskatchewan and probably a Riders fan, you, you got to move the ball downfield. And when we're talking about pro-life and we're talking about family causes, are we going to mm-hmm. get every, are we going to have that perfect, this perfect Christian utopia that we all would, would love to see? No, we're not. But are we going to start moving the ball downfield and seeing that, you know, unborn babies are going to be protected more um, for one example, then we need to say, well, acknowledge that Donald Trump and his administration has done a very good job in the last four years, right? Mm-hmm. Very good job. So, but, you know, I think that, you know, like I said, you know, we're seeing people pray, whereas I think if the roles were reversed, we would, we would be seeing the opposite of prayer. We'd be probably seeing a lot of riots. Absolutely. And, um, and it's been eerily quiet. I know there's the little skirmishes and outbreaks in certain places in the, in the U.S. and Portland of all places. It seems like nothing has changed in the last six months there. But, um, you know, it goes back to that, that verse too the, in Ephesians, and it says really our, our struggle is not against the, you know, the people that we see in the world, but it's, it's the principalities. Mm-hmm. It's the darkness in the air. Yes. And, uh, and I, I'm so glad that so many people in America, and I think a lot of Canadians and a lot of people around the world have turned to prayer. They've mm-hmm. turned to God to say, you know, help us. And, uh, yeah. and I think that uh, that's, that's so important. So. And if I can um, jump in on that, that go ahead, note there, um, just as a, a point of reference for everybody, especially Christians, Catholics, people of faith, before President Trump came into the White House, there were witches and Wiccans and yes. individuals who ca- who walked the halls of the White House casting spells, and they were permitted to do so by previous Republican and Democrat administrations. What did President Trump do? He banned the witches and Wiccans and all those, everybody who, who dealt in witchcraft from walking the halls and casting spells across the building and therefore across the nation. He brought Christians in to pray walk the halls with prayer and to pray with each other. That is a significant shift just in the mentality and the dynamics of the working inner workings of the white house. So I just want your, your listeners to know that that is something that that occurred. That's very significant. And on that topic of, of witchcraft too, there's uh, many documented cases of, um, of the dark side, the, you know, which witches and, and warlocks uh, trying to cast spells on on Donald Trump and his family, um, mm-hmm. uh, concerted and, and organized efforts across the United States to do those kind of things. But you know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Matea, because actually, I, I think there's pretty good evidence too, and you may be able to to uh, agree with me on this or maybe confirm is that uh, I understand that there was actually um, an exorcism done at the White House, uh, that there was actually a, a priest that was brought in. To, uh, to exercise the White House. That was my understanding from a few sources in the U.S. So, um, which makes sense. If they're going to be you know, kicking out these forces of evil, they're going to bring in something that's good, right? Um, in Canada here, uh, yeah, I mean, Justin Trudeau jumped on the bandwagon pretty quickly with, with congratulating. I'm not surprised. Um, but disappointing to see that there was some conservative voices that, that jumped mm-hmm. on that as well. Um, 
kind of fresh when you think of conservative, we, we're probably the the folks that would say, "Hey, let's let the the process turn out the way it should." It's going to very. It's going to be going to the courts. Yeah. Uh, this is why we have. Um, this is justice in our countries. Why? Why? You know, we should be celebrating this instead of jumping to conclusions too quickly. Um, I look at even our Canadian media is very biased as well towards towards the Democrats and, and against Donald Trump. Is this all a distraction from what we're seeing from the Liberal government right now? It, it, you, you don't have to be a conservative or a social conservative to look and see this is an unethical and immoral government that we have in place right now. Uh, Justin Trudeau has been caught several times uh, with mm-hmm. what they call unethical behavior from the Wee scandal to, I mean, it's, it's a long list. Um, yeah, do you think Mateo, that this is a distraction from from people in Canada dealing with the problem right in front of us right now? Oh, I, everything is a distraction, honestly. And every political tool is being employed in order to distract from the corruption that we face here at home. I'm not surprised whatsoever that it's occurring, especially when we see how many scandals Trudeau has been involved in and has been at the epicenter of. But I also think that, I think that many on the left feel that they're winning and that they're able to get away with so much. And so I I think that they don't even see it as a distraction anymore. I, I, I can recognize when messaging or news stories come out and they're obviously in favor of the liberals or leftists in general and they're trying to cover something up. But right now, all I see is people who just think that they're winning. And it's not meant to distract, in my opinion anyway. Um, I'm sure others would disagree. But um, I think that they just think they're winning, honestly. And they just don't care anymore because they think that they have, because people believe that they have the US on their side now, or leftists believe this, they will expose a lot more um, of what their real their real intents are in the coming months, and there's there's been prophecies even of of this winter being a dark winter, but I believe it's not necessarily just necessarily going to be a physically dark winter. I think that there's this a spirit of oppression that's going to be um, that's even on the people on nations right now, and I think that it's going to start breaking off when people start realizing that the agendas are being exposed and people are going to be in real life, real time experiencing the results and the aftermath of these agendas, but there's going to be a snapback and you're going to start to see light prevail over darkness. You will see it. I remember the Lord telling me when I was back down and I was actually stuck down in DC because the border closed and I couldn't get home for a couple months. Um, I was just crying out to the Lord one day and he told me to write down this, this, he tells me random things at random times. And so I just went, okay, Lord, I'll write it down. And it, it was breaking off the spirit of oppression and breaking off the darkness and the evil that, that is covering the earth right now. And he guaranteed me that there will be light. There will be justice. And there will be, there will be healing, like true healing. And this is way before Joe Biden was ever announced president this is right at the beginning of corona ever coming into place all the lockdowns everything and everybody thought they were doing a good thing and it was it was even a righteous thing for everybody to wear a mask and and self-isolate 
So God sees things way in advance. And I can even tell you in January of the, in December, actually 31st of this, of last year, God told me to post on January 1st of this year. Um, you can see it, it's pinned tweet at the top of my Twitter feed. It's, uh, it tells us that social justice will implode on itself. And we've seen that this year. It tells us that the darkness will be pinned up, up against the light and the light will prevail. And people are gonna be exposed. And we've seen so much exposure this year. So the God who created us at the beginning of time and stands in victory at the end of time resides in the middle too. And he is still Lord and he is still on his throne. So do not give up regardless of what you see. We are supposed to live by faith and not by sight. And we have to agree with God's will, what he has planned for this, for this nation of the United States and this nation of Canada and that of the world. So do not come into agreement with the fear and the propaganda that you see, but take hold and latch onto the faith and the belief that Jesus is still Lord and he is still going to guide us through and bring about justice. That's, that's great. That's so good. You know, you mentioned uh, offline when we were uh, messaging each other that you, you work with, with Catholics at Campaign Life Coalition and, and, uh, and probably rub shoulders with a lot of Catholics. What, what are some things, and Matei, you are a non-Catholic Christian. Um, what are some of your thoughts on how we can get together? I was, I was telling you too that I think it's just, it's high time that, you know, Catholics and all people of goodwill, and even that's my little tagline here in this podcast is that this is a podcast for Catholics, but for all people of goodwill. Yeah. How do we get together finally? It just seems like there's, it seems like the devil isolates us, right? Tries yeah. to make us think that we're all by ourselves, that we're not, that we're not in this together as a family, as a Christian family. Yeah. What are some things that, that we can do? Cause I, you know, I still see that there is a, that divide too with, with Catholics and, and, mm-hmm. and non-Catholic Christians. What can we do to, um, you know, still stand firm in our faith, but also to share it with each other and to be that beacon of light to the world. What, what are your thoughts on that? One of the greatest things that we can do is come together in community. Honestly, it's, and, and it sounds bizarre nowadays because there's so many limits on how many people we can co- convene with. But the Bible says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves. And it's so important. And I believe across Christian denominations, I'm a non-denominational Christian. I don't belong to a denomination. I, I solely follow Jesus and what the word of God says. And it's, it's played out quite well for my life, I have to say. But when it comes to denominations, I believe that we need to... We all know where everybody sits. You're a Catholic, I'm a non-denominational. I know Presbyterians and, and Protestants and I know atheists. They're not of, not of a faith, but really they're of a faith if we're, if we're honest. But we need to come together and understand that we have common goals. We find, that, we find that basis, that foundation where we go, we agree that every life has sanctity and that we need to protect every, every person's right to life. Hey, we all agree on that. We're gonna fight together for that cause. I don't care if you're a Catholic or if you're a Protestant, you're Presbyterian, I don't care what you're, if you're a Baptist, we're gonna to come together on these issues. And when that happens, we see a mobilization of countries like this world has never seen. Because we are still the predominant factor that changes elections, the Christian body. And we cannot give up that authority to, by being divisive or disagreeing solely on, on bits and pieces of theology. So we need to have that community aspect where, where we find the foundational aspects of our faith because every Catholic, 
well, not every Catholic anymore, nor any every Christian is is pro-life, for example, or or even pro-family or pro-foundational fundamental marriage. But there is a sifting happening, and so when I say that, there there's going to be a remnant. Those who take their faith in God seriously have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need to find those people. and And just like you and I, we're talking right now. I never knew you as of a month or two ago. There's other people in 2020 at the beginning of this year, I had no idea who they were. And yet they're some of the closest people to me now, aside from my family. And we need to latch on to those people and fight together, regardless of faith backgrounds or denominations. Lay aside the theology. It's personal to us. It's important to us. And we must keep it holy. But we must also fight together. And it's, it's something that I... I've seen church politics, I've seen pro-life politics, I've seen governmental politics, obviously. But when you find that foundation that you can that you can fight together on, it actually produces results. And that's what we want in this world. We're supposed to be salt and light, and we're supposed to be the influencers in this culture directing it, not it influencing us and then directing us in our decisions. So we have to all put on the lens, our lenses of faith and what the Bible actually teaches us and how we're supposed to live our lives, live it out because that is going to bring people to the light that you emulate. And you're gonna form a community around you that's strong and you're gonna affect local and even it can impact in, on an international stage change. So um, yeah, I for example, I'll give you this one example. At the United Nations, I was in a conversation with a, a, a representative from Planned Parenthood. Obviously polar opposite viewpoints on basically everything. But we wanted to, we, I ended up finding out that she was passionate, she was adopted. And she was passionate about adoption and foster care because mm. she had a good experience, but her sister did not. And so she is this huge, pro-lifers are against, against uh, um, reform of foster care and of making easier access to adoption. I was like, oh, no, 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 no we are for that. Actually, we're fighting for that in Virginia. And we are looking at getting interprovincial adoption in Canada and revamping the foster care system. It's a big deal. It's a lot of work, but we're actually actively as a pro-life movement fighting for that because we care about not just life in the womb, but all the way until the end of an individual's life. And she just, she was shocked. She's flabbergasted. And we ended up having a fantastic conversation. And that was an open door into an individual who is clearly pro-abortion. And she advocates it openly, but it changed her perception of pro-lifers. And I think if we did that, I've actually seen it happen with Catholics, where we, we go, okay, what does the Bible say about abortion? Abortion's evil, abortion's wrong. Okay, we both agree on that. Okay, that's an open door for us to get to work on something. And it could be about fundamental marriage. It could be about various subjects economically socially spiritually that we actually need to come together as the body of christ as one because that's what jesus died for he died for our salvation that we could come into be adopted into the family of god and we can't have we're always going to have quarrels but we can't have internal fighting because there is so much work to do to advance the kingdom on earth there's so much work to do indeed mate yeah it's I've, I mentioned this to somebody else, you know, you know, there's the vineyard is so huge, right? It's just massive and the laborers are so few, but then you, you kind of bump elbows with some people once in a while. And it's, it's, it's a time that you can look up and just say, Hey, you know, let's exchange some stories. Let's give, let's help each other in this journey, right? Let's, 
let's uh, reinvigorate and encourage each other because yeah, sometimes you're, you're just so busy focused on your own little, little area of the vineyard that you don't bother to look up and see that there's a lot of people there in the same boat as you are that, yeah. uh, that need that encouragement. So that's, that's great. Before I let you go, Matea, I've, I've learned a lot. I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. Matea, thanks for, for doing this. I, I hope our listeners are going to be encouraged too, to get out there and, and just to, to be that salt of the earth, to be that light to the world. Um, even in the Catholic church, there are, you know, the United Nations, I, I just, uh, I think one, one day, hopefully you'll come back and we can chat about the United Nations as well. But, um, but there's a lot of people in the church that believe that the United Nations is, is more of a friend to mm-hmm. the Catholic church and to the, the church as a, as a whole. Um, we mentioned the sanctity of life. We mentioned um, obviously the, 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 the values that we share on abortion, on traditional marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that we can all rally around. The United Nations is more foe than friend. Um, I think it's pretty obvious from, from me just reading certain articles and now that I've, I've saw some of your work, but do you want to just touch base on that really quickly on, on what you're kind of monitoring, I guess, at the United Nations and uh, this real present, this real present danger that, that mm-hmm. they pose to, to society, to Christendom if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that question because not many people are willing to actually ask that question. So you've done your digging and I appreciate that. So with the United Nations, you have to understand that they are an unelected body of bureaucrats, essentially. And if you think of them as a bureaucracy, in every country, bureaucrats have a lot of influence, actually. But with UN, they influence the world, what happens in every nation. Well, every every nation, essentially, that is a part of the UN. And what some of the greatest threats that the UN poses to the Christian and those of, of the faith community in general, they are very pro-abortion, one. They are against parental authority that's given to us by God. They, um, for one example, actually just recently as of October, the human UN Human Rights Council brought on board a what they call a special repertoire to monitor the freedoms of of religion and belief at the UN. This is supposed to be an independent individual who analyzes the threats globally to people of faith experiencing and living out their faith freely. So this Rapporteur for Freedom of Religion or Belief said that the barriers to people of faith experiencing their faith freely needed to um, have abortion fully legislative, uh, fully, full, excuse me, fully legalized. They uh, needed to accept essentially in plain English, not UN language, um, homosexuality. They needed to break down all barriers to comprehensive sexuality education being implemented in their countries and the list went on and on and on. And this is a real threat, not only to national sovereignty, but to the Christian faith in general. And when we look at the biggest thing that I'm a part of right now is, is CSE, Comprehensive Sexuality Education. That's what I'm monitoring the closest um, because it has the direct threat of, of attacking our children's innocence as well as therefore their futures. And in it, they teach children how, through the teachers in the classroom, how to undermine parental values. So what's instilled in the children is being unwound in this classroom by teaching comprehensive sexuality education, which is pushed by the UN, which is created in conjunction with Planned Parenthood. 
And so there are many, many organizations at the UN who have an upper hand just based upon the values that they espouse, which directly violate the Christian faith. And these are the people that the UN listens to for directives. And when it comes to, to protecting religious freedom, freedom in general, freedom of belief, and, and freedom of speech, the UN is absolutely a Marxist socialist organization. Plain speak. It, it, honestly, it's, it's truth be told. Um, many people believe that the UN is still what it was at the, its foundation, at, at its beginning. And it was formed after World War II to prevent a World War III from occurring and to prevent, and to, sorry, prevent, protect human rights. Well, human rights have been skewed and uh, what they believe to be human rights is, is absolutely um, opposing to what the Christian faith and therefore fundamental human rights are, such as the inalienable right to life. They, they oppose that, even though in their documents they say um, that, for example, the Convention on the Rights of the Child is the most ratified document in the UN. And every, almost every single nation at the United Nations has signed on to this one document, which in Article 6 clearly states that children have the right to life. But yet the UN's own bodies, and got, such as the World Health Organization, United Nations Population Fund, which I just released a little video on, they all fight for abortion, which directly goes against the inalienable right of the right to life and the fundamental family. So um, there are many, many um, resources I could give to you and um, about the threats that are imposed by the UN towards the, the Christian period as an individual and as a corporate body. Um, but I'll just leave you with this. The, it's no longer about fighting for human rights. It's no longer about preventing World War III it's no longer an organization about peace and, and unity and coming together at the same table and discussing subjects about, about the world in general. It is now about a globalist movement, about changing nations from within by the authority and credibility given to an unelected body that is the UN present day. So this is the real threat. And they don't, they don't like Christians because they know that we possess authority and that we possess tools in our hands. And when we understand, for example, the, the authority that comes and power that comes when Christians vote, when, when real Christians stand up with their political vote, which matters immensely to God, that scares the UN. That's why, for example, with this 2020 election, Joe Biden got his, his slogan, Build Back Better, from the UN, from globalists. So if, if you want to see a full world takeover of a globalist government, which is not a conspiracy theory, and I know that there are many conspiracy theories out there, I totally acknowledge that, and I know many of them, but when you look at the globalists at the UN, the elites, the governments that are pouring money, the organizations that are funding the UN, which are then pushing their agendas through this unelected body that has been given credibility like the media has, and it's totally unaccountable, you're gonna see a total shift in this world and your freedoms will, it's not a matter of if, it's will be targeted and you will be silenced unless we stand up now. So don't be afraid to be persecuted right now. You have your freedoms, you have liberty. Utilize them now because they will not last if they get their way.
beware of the, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And our Lord says that the United Nations and Planned Parenthood both have your very gentle sounding names, Matea, right? Yeah. But then the, the mask uh, comes down and exposes for, you know, what they really are. I want to end with a little bit of hope for people. And I think there is, there's a ton of hope, right? That's the hope that lives within us is Jesus Christ. Yeah. So uh, this is a letter from, uh, from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians in chapter two. It says, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Matea, I want to thank you again for doing this and thanks for all the, the great work you're doing. It's, it's great to see young people doing this. I think there's a lot of young people out there that, that uh, just need that little bit of encouragement to, uh, to, to go out there and, and to change the world. And, and again, another reference from scripture, do not let people look down upon you because you are young. Yeah. You have a great vocation in life and uh, we can all learn something from that. So Matea, God bless you again. Thanks so much for, for joining us and uh, we'll be in touch. Absolutely. God bless you all. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that straight talk and honest assessment of our world from Matea Murda. That was a real blessing to have her join us and uh, quite enjoyed that interview a lot and hope to catch up with her again in the future. I was looking through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and I found this reference when it comes to, to sin and the dominion that sin has over us because of our first parents. And it goes like this. It's from Catechism of the Catholic Church 407. The doctrine of original sin, closely connected with that of redemption by Christ, provides lucid discernment of man's situation and activity in this world. By our first parent's sin, the devil has acquired a certain domination over man, even though man remains free. Original sin entails captivity under the power of him who thenceforth had the power of death, that is, the devil. Ignorance of the fact that man has a wounded nature inclined to evil gives rise to serious errors in the areas of education, politics, social action, and morals. And I thought that tied in very well with the state of our world today. So, uh, But again, you know, our, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Pray, hope, and don't worry, as we've said often on this program from uh, the, the wise and beautiful words of St. Padre Pio. And our hope really is in the Lord Jesus. So thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate all the uh, the prayers and the support that you continue to give me. Uh, remember to uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and like and share the content as you see fit. We really appreciate that. And again, Catholics, hey, remember, confession three times a year at least. Every Advent, every Lent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening. God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon.